1: Hello friends, welcome to AMI Sites, our friend Josh Watson from Las Vegas, Nevada, and his company called EIS Automation. Joining here with me today is my colleague and friend Lynn Ozer, otherwise known as SBA Queen. And we're here today to chat with Josh about his business, his life, his path, what he's thinking about, and all those good things. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for being on. Yeah, thank you, AMI. Uh, Thank you for
2: having me on the show.
1: We're
0: excited to meet you and hear all about your business. I got a chance to look at your YouTube video. It was fascinating.
2: Uh, thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think
0: about all the things that I order that must have been pushed through by one of those robots. <laughs> all my packages come like
2: that. <laughs> that is correct. Yeah, we do quite a bit in the uh, consumer goods space for right. manufacturing automation. Right. What do you do? <laughs> so we are a manufacturing automation company with focus on product handling and end-of-line solutions Uh, typically we take over where a product was already packaged which is called primary packaging and then we further process it into uh, what's called secondary packaging so it could either be batched or sorted packed in a carton or packed in a shrink wrap machine to be then pelletized for distribution
1: so you make the Equipment that you then sell to the distribution houses. is that correct?
2: That's correct. We design and fabricate uh, the the systems that we have available right here in Las Vegas. So every step of the way, electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, software development, all steps are completed in-house and uh, delivered right here from the US for mostly uh, us customers, but we do have systems installed globally.
0: That's really interesting. How much of your business is domestic versus foreign?
2: Uh, Currently, I think it's about maybe 80, 20. Um, The export aspect is uh, what we expect to grow, especially as the U.S. is pushing more and more and becoming a manufacturing country again, Um, exporting also not only goods, but also machinery. Uh, Most of the systems we have, Exported. Um, we have subsystems that are installed in other companies' equipment, but some of the systems we build are also exported directly. Um, we're building a system right now that will be exported to Egypt, for example.
0: You know, it's interesting because we do at multi funding a lot of SBA lending, and they are very interested in exporters, and there's actually some special bells and whistles for that. So That's that's really interesting to hear. Um, When you you make the machine, and Ami asked if it was for the distributor, is it sometimes for the manufacturer, for Hmm. them to package it to send to the distributor, or does the distributor always put the end product into the packaging?
2: Uh, in our case, we so there are automation companies who focus on the distribution warehousing aspect of things. Right. We are we are more on the manufacturing side, so our solutions would be used to then ship it to a distribution company. Yeah, yeah, that that's what I it looked like. Like there was six
0: boxes that are put together, shrink yeah. wrap, and put right. in a box, and that would be the box that would go to Amazon or whatever. Um, to be shipped out, right? That's correct. what it looks like.
2: It's fascinating. Or it will, yeah, or it will be directly shipped to a supermarket and um, the secondary packaging oh, open right. to be put on the shelf.
0: Yeah, that's right. They could do that
2: all by themselves without going
0: through the distributor.
2: That's correct, yeah. Right. Uh, uh, many, many manufacturers do have a direct sales type approach, so they don't go right. through distribution. Right. Uh, and in this case, it would go directly to the supermarkets. Got it
0: fascinating
1: so is each piece of machinery custom or do you create one pack one piece of equipment and then sell it around
2: so there are two elements the answer is yes to both um so we have this uh, custom systems we build um, we we cover a wide range of industries so we're somewhat industry agnostic as long as we're within a specific product size range um we cater towards the medical industry just as much as consumer goods. Uh, we do have product lines that are repeatable. That's more of a standard type approach. That is more right. of a, sca- a scalable business side of things. And then we have um, more custom systems that we call them onesies and twosies, right? So um, that you tailor specifically for a customer process. And, um, but it has to be a good fit for our skill set if, uh, if we accept that.
1: How did you start this business? How long have you been going? I was just gonna ask that.
0: It's kind of interesting. I looked at, I thought maybe you were a robotics kid in school and built robots (laughs) in class because Uh, you have a lot of robotics in
2: your machinery. That is correct. So I I was born into a printing family. So I, I walked between machines, you know, when I was three years old. So I've always been around manufacturing. And I ended up in Germany, you kind of have different routes you can take, but I did a quintessential um, apprenticeship in Germany that typically takes three and a half years. And I did that in a, in a company that focused on the printing industry. And then I went back to school to actually study print engineering. Um, that's hmm. a thing in Germany, You know, it's the country of Gutenberg. So you have a lot of engineering degrees that are aimed towards specific industries, right? Um, So I went back for another eight semesters and that degree was basically focused on printing and packaging, right? And uh, when I first moved to the US, I started in a large printing companies, fairly large battleship sized printing plants, right? Where you have a lot of process control, things of that nature. Um, Then the last employer I had moved me out to Vegas. And he wanted to get into manufacturing. And he basically said, hey, you have to build it all up for me. And I did. And at that point in time, I already had the idea that at some point I wanted to go out on my own. And fast forward 2012, I said, I told my boss, hey, I want to do this now. And he said, I know you have it in you, right? And he said, do me one favor, move our company to the new location. And afterwards, you can do whatever you want, and I'll give you a contract. And I kept my word and he kept his word. And so I was able to start the business in the garage in 2012 with a nice little consulting contract that gave me some repeatable income until 2017. So 2017, the contract ended, and that's when EIS Automation as a company had to literally fall on its feet and stand on its own as it is today. Well, that's
1: interesting. Ooh. So what? how did it all start in 2017? What was the first steps?
2: Uh, the first step was, so first of all, 2012, I started it with, I had $4,000 in the bank and I thought that was a lot of money. Um, and so I started the business with $4,000. A few months later, my first customer said, Josh, you know what? I'm going to match the 4,000. So you have 8,000. <laughs> there you so, go. And so it started with $8,000. Fast forward 2017, um, I outgrew the garage. Um, we live in a neighborhood with an HOA, and it didn't like too much that there were semi trucks pulling in. <laughs> I bet not. <laughs> yeah. And so I was, uh, every few months, my neighbors thought we were moving when I had a handjack with the crate coming out of the garage. <laughs> Pushing down on the street in the neighborhood because the semi couldn't go into the neighborhood, right?
0: Oh, that's funny.
2: Um, and so I knew I, I had to get a place and still not enough padding. So uh, what do you do? You need capital. So I went to my parents and I said, hey, I need some, uh, some down payment. I can rent a place. So the first place was 1,200 square feet, 900 warehouse, 300 office. And my parents gave me $25,000 as a loan with, I don't know how many percent. And um, I started paying that off. And that was the first suite. That suite went into two suites. And um, by then I had a really nice landlord who worked for IBM. And he kept on making holes in walls and said, okay, Josh, (laughs) now you get two suites. We got three suites, got four suites. And then he said, Josh, you're done incubating. I can't keep. Making holes in walls for you, and uh, that was last year uh, when we then moved the operation to a space that was more adequate for what we need, and that's where we're in now. How many square feet is that? So we went from 4,800 square feet to a wide open space of just over 6,000 square feet. Um, wow! But there's that's one element. There's one element that is almost more important. Um, Las Vegas predominantly is built as a warehousing-type hub. Mm-hmm. So most places have swamp cooling. And swamp cooling means that you are drawing warm air from the outside and basically cool that through like a filter of air to right. down the space. But what that does is it draws a lot of the desert dust inside the building and uh, we have uh, very sensitive electronics. So we had to find a place that is fully uh, climate controlled, which is a needle- Who owns the company? Um, I own the company, 100%. So have you bootstrapped all the way along? No, I have uh, with the help of uh, uh, two two loan packaging companies, uh, another one and multi-funding, been able to to get to the stage that we're in today.
0: That's how yeah. many employees do you have?
2: Uh, we're currently six uh, W-2s and about a handful of 1099s that come in on a project basis. We're approximately 10. And,
0: and are most of them engineers? Many of them are. I would
1: say yeah. it's about
2: half, half. Yeah.
1: Good. You've taken on a couple of loans, which have helped you push along and grow the business what some of your dilemmas being have you ever thought about maybe you should have equity or investors or anything like that or have you been determined to do this on your own
2: Uh, that's a tricky question um yes i have as a matter of fact about just over a year ago i started pondering the idea of potentially getting um, maybe an angel investor in or multiple angel investors maybe on a convertible type vehicle. But if you think that thought through, you automatically have to think about exit, right? Absolutely. Because um, investors, whether it's an angel or someone else, they look for some sort of a cash out event, right? We are in the hardware world. It gets very difficult because it's very capital intensive and has much, much longer build times than maybe just a software business. Um, We are a software business, but it's in conjunction with hardware, right? So if we were to go that path, we would find investors, would have to find investors who have that 10 to 12 year horizon.
0: So you've been able to do it without them so far and grow systematically through debt, right?
2: That is correct. But we are at a stage now where we really hit you know, critical mass, I, I'd say, and we're ready to break out um, and, and penetrate that level that we're at. And for that, we need a larger amount of capital that we will be finding out soon if that is in the realm of um, what? Possibilities the, for you. <laughs> possibilities yeah. of lending criterias, you know? Um, even if you go the SBA route, in the end, they're risk managers, right? And they want to know that the company that money is given to, and then at the end, backed up by the US taxpayer, right? Um, yes, we're well aware. <laughs> yeah, well, um, we'll actually succeed, right? And mm-hmm. that is the threshold where it kind of pivots towards maybe a, a capital infusion through, you know, outside investors.
0: Yeah, but it, but it sounds like you're your needs are capital intensive. Mm. So you come along with collateral. You've been successful since, you know, you built it yourself since 2012. And well, what about, you're not working under contract anymore, or do you have a lot of contracts?
2: No. So there's two sides to our business we have. Um, We have, of course, the machine business, which is, exclusive for the capital expenditure for any customer right so these are not opex it's not in the opex category for any customer um so typically you try to get into their capex the last half the last quarter of each year yeah it's really <laughs> the task is trying to make it into the customer's capex for next year yep and more and more since we're catering towards the packaging market the product ending market we have the opportunity to create a recurring revenue stream um By also offering the consumables to the customer, and in our case, that means film material. Film materials, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. film. So you could think of it from like HP; they don't really make money with the printer; they make money with the ink, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. And and for us, that's a similar scenario. Got it. Did the pandemic help you or hurt you, or both? Uh, it was a driver for our business. So, when the pandemic started in twenty twenty, we actually ended up growing a double-digit percentage even during the pandemic. We were considered um, one of those businesses that had to operate. So, because we catered towards the medical space,
0: essential services. Yep,
2: essential services, and then uh, so we grew. I think about twenty percent twenty twenty, and then we grew another one hundred and five percent in twenty twenty one. And impressive. Manufacturing, I think, is coming back to the U.S. You sh- you see a lot of reshoring initiatives, mm-hmm. um, and I think it was a driver definitely for our business. That's great. Twenty two. How was twenty two? Twenty twenty two was ended up being flat for us. There's a number of reasons. Um, it's three main reasons why there was uh, one. We had to we had to move right. So we when you move a manufacturing company, it's a little bit different than just grabbing your laptop and a couple of chairs, right? So um, we had to move equipment. So that basically stole three months out of our whole year. So three months, I was really not looking for additional work. And and if we would have gotten it, we couldn't have done it and completed it anyways. Um, secondly, I, I started to turn down work that is not a good fit for who we are anymore, right? As we focus down and kind of catered towards a specific space at some point in time. That means for us, at least that we have to look at what is a good fit for us and what is not a good fit. So I have probably turned down opportunities in the range of 300,000 last year that I believe were not a good fit for the future anymore. Interesting. And, and, see you. and uh, the third element is that I wanted to start building a, an, if you will, an operating system that builds a solid foundation that we can scale a business on top. And, and in our case, you might be familiar with it uh, in the manufacturing world that is ISO 9001 2015. And so we are probably just about eight weeks away from being ISO 9001 2015 certified, third-party certified.
0: That certification opens doors for you, correct?
2: It does, especially for a customer base that also runs ISO uh, type environments. It doesn't have to be 9001, 2015. In the medical world, it's uh, 13485, but there's many others. But um, if a vendor has ISO and runs ISO, it typically is a synergy with a customer who runs a similar system.
1: I hope you don't beat yourself up that you had a flat year. Keep in mind that rarely ever, is a successful business go straight up in a straight line there are ebbs and flows and twists and turns and up and ups and downs and part of my beef with the inc 5000 list that encourages the greatest top line health growth and that's what everything celebrates that's in my opinion done. you're building a solid foundation for a business and it's just never going to go in a straight upward line um, So if you had a flat year and you grew thirty or forty percent the year, or even more, I think the year before, that's amazing, and you're just rebuilding some foundation to go forward. So I hope you don't you don't accept you had a flat year. I don't know what you think, Lynn, but I don't think there's any shame in the, that at all.
0: Uh, I couldn't agree more. There, listen, fast growth is almost as dangerous as no growth. Slow growth, it's slow, steady wins the race. You know what they say. But I was thinking the same thing that Ami had brought to your attention, like uh, flat is good. I mean, you had to grow to absorb, you know, the, the rate at which you're operating at this point. You have to fill in the gaps and the pieces so that you can service. And I think, you know, when you're in a position to not have to take every bid that you win, that's, that in and of itself is a success, don't you think, Ami? When you get to pick and choose who your clients are because of how profitable they'll be for you, uh, I think you've come a real long way. And that's something, you know, as, you know, I, w- I lent money to businesses for 40 years. And when we would see companies that, you know, consciously would slow down just to, you know, absorb their growth from the years prior, uh, kudos to them, really. It was a good sign.
1: So, and another thing, uh, just congratulations, just to back up Lynn's point, Josh. Like, in the two years of multi funding, we would take on any client who would talk to us, partially because we didn't know better. Okay. <laughs> and partially because we were desperate for business. Yeah. Okay. And as we got better and better and our reputation exceeds, part of the success now is it's part, but saying no alone.
2: I know. Yeah,
0: I couldn't. The other point that Ami made that a lot of business owners fail to realize is that, you know, you do oftentimes they give out awards for top line growth. And I've seen companies that have top line growth and they they come into the bank and they're like, oh, you know, we won this and we won that. And you look at their numbers and like, yeah, that's great, but you haven't made any money. And uh, that's not really the end game. So that is
2: correct. Yeah. yeah. and, and thanks for the kudos. I, you know, as a business owner, of course, you always have payroll. You have to. I mean, things. So saying no, it takes a conscious effort. Right. Um. And I do read frequently business books, and one of the books, I, I can't remember the title of the book, but it said something along the lines, um, you have to look at where you really want to go and not get distracted by the shiny things on the side of the road, and it's difficult to do because. You, you, as an entrepreneur, you naturally gravitate towards opportunity, right? Absolutely. But not every opportunity should be taken, right? Especially if you have a goal in mind, in a direction that you want to go to, and, and and I think that's that's sometimes a difficult thing to do, but hopefully it'll turn out to be the right decision.
0: Did you have an aha moment when you realized you know what we do know what we're doing, and and we're you know where you put yourself in in that position to say
2: you know that's a very good question i would say there was such a thing probably last year for the first time in my life i because you go at such a fast pace you really don't have time to think about it because you're constantly solving a problem but i would say last year was the first time where i decelerated and i looked left and right and i'm like oh, we're like, we're legitimate business. (laughs) We actually serve customers. We bring value to the table. Um, We serve customers that are large corporations, enterprises. And for some reason, the small company out of Las Vegas um, has something to offer that brings value in their operation, right? So I definitely had last year for the first time in my life, that aha moment, yeah. Right. And
0: and I guess that guided you to figure out the the type of manufacturing company where you do bring the most value right
2: that is correct and i think that kind of ties in a little bit with learning or starting to say maybe no to opportunities that are not the right fit because i think the customer senses that and in the end people purchase from people and if If a customer senses immediately that this is a good fit, that the vendor they're talking to brings true value, they automatically have that level of trust built in because they know this team will actually get us what they promised they will, will get us.
0: Yep. That's a big thing.
2: Relationships are always
0: what it comes down to. And we can talk about that all the time. But yeah, you're right. People deal with people. That's right. I know Ami believes that.
1: Yeah.
2: 100%.
1: <laughs> Josh, just uh, as you look at opportunities and the discipline of saying no, one little thing I, I always, a trick, an old mentor of mine taught me is as you look at something, you say, is this a distraction or an opportunity? Yeah. Distraction or opportunity? Because, this, and especially as entrepreneurs, we're always chasing the next big idea, can't help Mm -hmm. ourselves. But trying to have that focus is, is, it's just a simple little tool that can help a lot for whatever it's worth.
2: Yeah, it's, it's really an art to learn to kind of look at the white noise and just let it be white noise, right? And, and, and simmer things down to what really matters and, and create that clarity in your mind and you know, there's a the saying: the fish always thinks from the head, right? So if if I don't have clarity within me as the person who, who you know, is trying to lead this company into a successful future, if I don't have that clarity, I can't communicate that clarity to to the team, right? And I think it's needed, right? It's not always there. Sometimes it takes time for myself to get that clarity, but I think it's very important. Otherwise, you can't go a certain direction with everybody. And the team being aligned to that one uh, future. I always
0: want to ask entrepreneurs, do you have any work-life balance? Or is your business taking it all out of Uh, you? So
2: so that's an interesting question. I I, I think I do. And I think it's very important. Um, There seems to be this myth in the media, especially with these ultra successful entrepreneurs that they work all the time. I can say for myself, I'm a highly creative person and I need that downtime. Otherwise my creativity, it, it, it suffers, right? Um, two weeks ago, I was so stressed. I, I literally drove into the mountains midday and I just stared into the mountains for two hours without phone, without answering. Yeah, I couldn't even talk anymore, right? And I needed those two hours. Um, so I think downtime is very important work life balance is important it doesn't mean i'm up late and working i'm working every saturday i'm working every sunday but i do make it a point to have time for myself where i can reflect and and kind of keep that that creativity going Um, i will also say my wife is a psychotherapist so i have conversations at home um, on an ongoing basis, and I'm sure from my seconds, there was a big learning curve on how to approach things and how to deal with emotions, how to respond to them, right? Um it definitely definitely has helped me along the way well, i think I'm
0: sure that she helps keep you <laughs> thinking about those things it, it it's just it is really important and to hear you say that you know that your creativity suffers when you are Exhausted, And, mm. and whether creativity is your special characteristic or whatever it is that you bring to the head of your company, burnout it, yeah. it comes to everyone, regardless of what their strength is. And yeah. um, the work life balance is, is critical. And, is. you know, as you become more and more successful, it would be nice to have time to appreciate the fruits of your labor.
1: Yeah. Yeah well, hard to believe already two months into 2023. But as you look into the next year or two, what
2: are you thinking? Um, oh, a few thoughts. So I think that the specific industry we're in, the industrial or manufacturing automation industry, is one of the fastest growing industries out there right now, especially with the reshoring initiatives. The U.S. has Kind of for maybe in the eighties and the nineties, converted itself predominantly into a service-based com- country, and I think we're seeing the reversing effect of that now. So from an industry perspective, I look very positive into the future, especially for what we bring uh, into the market. Of course, there's uh, inflation going on now, and the Fed is is trying to to manage that with ever increasing interest rates. So I think. That is one of my biggest concerns as companies like us might not have access to capital at the cost they had before. I mean, we're entering ranges of hard money lending, if you will, right? So um, we need capital right now to grow. And now the accessibility to that because the Fed keeps on increasing uh, the interest rates might make it more challenging for us. I hope they don't drive it into a recession, right? because we're reaching points where highly successful companies with a good outlook could take a hit because of that approach.
1: Whenever it's worth, just some thoughts about interest rates. SBA paper on 10-year paper was 6% a year ago, now it's 10 and a half. That's a big, a big difference. Mm. Hard money is also up. Everything's up. Okay, So everything's proportionally up. But I advise people to do is it's almost the same advice at 6% or 10%. Don't focus on the 10 and a half. Focus on the business case. Does it make sense? Is there a strong argument and thesis about how this borrowing this money will make you a lot more money than not doing it? Correct. And what's the risk if it doesn't work out? Don't focus on the high rate focus on the business case, the business, the higher rate will make the business case harder to make sense, mm. but focus on the business case. Does that make sense?
2: It, it does make a lot of sense. And I I try to see it that way, but then you look at the numbers and right, and even though numbers don't have feelings, you automatically, associate, you know, there's feelings associated with numbers. Um, but I agree with you. If you can create that value a multiple, right, of that, then between six and 10%, right, especially considering that it adjusts downward quarterly if, if it were to go back, right? right? So it's not a fixed rate. We, we,
1: yeah, we, we don't know. So rates um, could stay like this for many years. Rates could go down in three months. Rates yeah. could keep going up. So that's a part of all the uncertainty and what I call the COVID dominoes. But my only advice is don't let it cripple you correct it's easy is. and i get it that it's emotional and it's more expensive it is. And, and all these things but don't let it try not to let it cripple you if there's a good business case to do it
2: yeah so the business case in there and even if you compare it to potential investment 10 percent is nothing against the cost of equity right so it still might make sense at 10 11 percent uh, in comparison to, to even a convertible note that then ends up converting uh, into equity.
0: Absolutely. So. And then, you know, there's, there's the cost of not doing it also. You know, that yeah. has to be taken into consideration. We always talk at multi-funding about, you know, you sleep better at night knowing what your loan payment's going to be and how much more revenue... Bottom line profitability you may be able to generate if you do take on the loan versus just thinking oh my god it's ten and a half percent it's ten and a half percent but you're right if the business case supports you know expansion and maybe the profitability is cut by some percentage if it's still profitable not doing it doesn't make sense. That's correct. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's also, I always also encourage people. Focus on the monthly payment, less on the rate. Yeah. That's what how, does it, how does that monthly payment feel and how safe does it feel? And if none of this works out, can you still handle that monthly payment? But by focusing, sometimes people get screwed up by focusing on the rate. And rate can be deceptive also. So really focus on that monthly payment and how safe you feel about it
2: yeah, so the, there is an element, and as we have some SBA rounds already. and and the, historically, they were based on cash flow lending, essentially, right. right? So can you pay it off? Now, at this you know barrier that we're riding to break through, we have to change that approach a little bit more towards projections a, a projection based lending. and And I think that adds a layer of maybe uncomfortability that takes a while to. Become comfortable with. But the, if the business case is there, I think it makes perfect sense, especially when the historic numbers point towards a strong growth, right? In a very, very successful industry, right? I mean, if if you're looking at McKinsey reports for industrial automation, it's one of the fastest growing industries for the next five to seven years, right? So the business case is there, and we have good product market fit on top of that. Right.
1: At the same time, Dosh, yes. If- Flip side of the debt discussion we were just having is totally legitimate to be thinking it through and to be fearful of taking on the next steps. I also say if that extra debt is going to cause you so much agina, go slower.
2: No, don't. It's, don't. No. the right pedal only. <laughs> right pedal only yeah <laughs> left leg yeah, but right you
1: headed.
0: can you can press a little less hard is what Ami's yeah. saying
1: <laughs> it's velocity pick your velocity you can grow at your own pace that's, yeah that's true have to you don't yeah. have to grow like this you can grow at your own pace
2: so that is correct so i think there is a, a window of opportunity and you want to be within that uh, because highly successful industries also track more into the market, more companies into the marketplace, which will lead into more competition. And you know, as they say, second place is first loser, right? So um, <laughs> we 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 have to be able to be innovative, be innovative quickly, and bring solutions to the market in within that window of opportunity. and And I think that's the state we're in right now. Of course, you can't overdo it, and we kind of want to pace ourselves. But we don't want to go off of the pedal, right? And then have others pass by.
1: It's true. just is there any um, your story is fascinating. Is there anything that, that you've right? done in the last couple of years that you in hindsight say, Oh, if I know this now, I would have done it differently. Some lessons that you might be able to share with our listeners.
2: Oh, you want me to give you the the never-ending mistake list? <laughs> um I, I, no, no, just no, the no. ones you learned from. Um so one thing I always say I, I think of is, is you always cook it hotter than you eat it, right? It's it's that a lot of worry, a lot of predictions, a lot of situations resolve themselves, and you find out afterwards that you didn't have to wake up at 2 a.m., right? <laughs> you didn't have to maybe stress as much as you had to over something um because it didn't actually come you know end up being that way right um that's definitely for me i think the biggest thing is for me that i found out over time is that it requires a lot of personal growth and i think making that a daily habit of i'm going to learn something new every day i'm going to apply something new every day i don't lose my direction out of focus, but I might adjust the course a little bit, right? So the, the course is something I can adjust, but I shouldn't lose the actual goal I want to achieve, right? I think that's the, the biggest takeaway from the last few years. I did not start this with a grand idea. This was sheer energy and craziness, right? And and something kind of kept me driving, but I really didn't have that focus. If, if I have learned something in the last few years is honing in on something that you can go towards as a company and then have the people and the team align behind that, that idea. I think that's the, the biggest thing I've learned.
1: Yes. You've been a great guest. Lynn, any questions you can think of that I haven't thought of?
0: No, I, I think it's really exciting. And, and your story is very interesting to me and your growth, um, your conscious growth is what, what I'm taking away from this. And I hope that the interest rates don't deter you because your future looks bright to me.
2: <laughs> Congratulations
0: so, on everything you've done
2: so far. Best wishes, best wishes, to, the wishes. to the future. Yeah,
1: Best wishes. Yeah, absolutely. What's your website if our listeners want to go check you out?
2: It's uh, www.eisautomation.com. EIS Automation, just one word.
1: Awesome. Josh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. And you've been a great guest.
0: Thank Thanks, you. Josh. Great yeah, to meet thank you. you. Thank you, Lynn. Sounds thank you good. So much. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today on AMI Sites with your host, Ami Kassar, the foremost SBA thought leader. Make sure you visit us at multifunding.com, where you can meet our advisory team and learn more about how we help entrepreneurs fund their future.